guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest, I had the pleasure to have Coach Vern Gambetta back on the show. Vern had previously been on the show way back on episode 27. On this episode, Vern and I discussed many topics, including what's new with Vern since we last spoke, Vern's thoughts on sports analysis, Vern's thoughts on the importance of work capacity, which was a topic he covered in his book, Athletic Development, the importance of meeting up face-to-face with our coaches, and we also discussed Vern's gain mentorship. This was a great episode, guys, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, Coach Fern Gambetta, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you come back onto my podcast. I'm very sure that the vast majority of listeners will know who you are. So um, you don't really have to get into your to your background unless unless you want to. I'm sure the people can always check out the previous episode, which I'll link to, and we'll obviously link to it to your uh, website and whatnot. But uh, what's uh, what's new, and What's going on with you at the moment? Well, uh, a lot. Keep just had an amazing weekend uh, Sunday with one of my close friends and professional colleagues. And just before you called, just writing a blog about that, Jimmy Radcliffe, who's the head strength and conditioning coach. At University of Oregon, and I think uh, one of my coaching heroes, even though he's younger than me, and mm. and uh, a real, I think a real pioneer in the field and in in the U.S. for somebody to be work. He doesn't just work with American football; he works extensively with athletics, extensively with baseball, extensively with volleyball, which is a very rare thing in today's world. And he's very much, I think, one of the reasons we've become such good friends is he's very much a generalist. You know, like I am, and we're we're interested in a lot of things. So we try to. It's become a tradition in the U.S. It's Memorial Day weekend, and it falls right after the um, the regional NC2A track meet. So he usually flies down here, spends a day, and flies back to Oregon. And we spend about you know this time we kind of sat out by the pool and and went downtown to my coffee shop and just cool. talked about. You know, actually, somebody—if you would have—if you would have listened in, it would have been like two old guys talking about maybe the good old days in one sense, because we were kind of looking at, and maybe this is something you might want to talk about. We're kind of looking at like changes that are occurring and wondering why some of the changes. And uh, uh, well, that's that's it. Why some of the changes? You know, and and when we have the ability to, in a sense. To almost better uh, to validate some of the things that have been proven to work, you know, and we're mm. in, in one sense we're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I look at, I kind of chuckle about, you know, a velocity-based training, and I go, that's cool. I mean, it's good stuff. And I remember trying to solve the problem of measuring bar speed like 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, the yeah, technology yeah. was like cumbersome, and, and but it forced us to to really dig down and coach and watch our athletes, you know, watch bar speed, not look at a number on a, on an iPad, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the combination of the two is the best, isn't it? So Absolutely. anyway, that was, that was, it was it. So anyway, so it's been fun and my head is buzzing. I have so many ideas and we have gain in basically 15 days. And uh, so it's, it's a, uh, it's a fun time and all uh, I work a lot. I'm doing a lot with swimming now and uh, we're, three weeks out from our Olympic trials and swimming and got a whole bunch of uh, swimmers from the various clubs and University of Tennessee that I work with getting ready for that. So it's a very exciting time, very exciting time. Great so, stuff. Uh, and we'll, we'll definitely talk more about game because it's, it's definitely I want to, it's definitely something I want to know more about personally, but definitely want to get the listeners to, to hear more about it because as I said to you offline, I heard you speaking about it with a uh, with Martin Bingazer on your game cast and I was just I, like I, you know, I always go for walks listen to podcasts and I was just here walking going this sounds incredible <laughs> so I was like definitely want to get that out to the masses as well okay. but uh, it's funny you mentioned Jimmy Radcliffe because actually on my notes here I have written down recently spent time with Jimmy Radcliffe because you also mentioned this on some episodes with uh, with um, Martin and, and you were just kind of saying that the idea struck me and, and I often do this too I go through periods where I'm like I get in touch with coaches and I go visit them and you know, just to watch them, and, and like, I don't think we do that enough, and I think you were kind of making that point, that's probably something we should do more, and that, you know, go, we nearly take for granted sometimes who our friends are, and we don't realize that they actually are, we, we have friends who are top class coaches, and just because they're our friends, we kind of take them for granted, and sometimes it's nice even to get them and come and see you coach, and maybe critique, so may, maybe could you just touch on that, I, I thought it was a very interesting point. Yeah, 
Well, I, I think that's crucial. I mean, I've been out to visit Jimmy uh, in the last three years. One time he formally brought me out just to just to walk, evaluate um, him and in, 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 a, in a informal manner, him and his staff. It was it was during football season, uh, which is you know, in, I, I think the measure of a lot of what we do happens really in season, uh, and to to observe and to comment on that. And I felt I felt really bad because I I wanted him to attend uh, uh, my one of the dry land sessions here, and we had to move it uh, an hour later, and his, so he couldn't do it because of his flight. Because I wanted him to see, uh, you know, what I'm doing too, hands on, not just on a piece of paper and. I, I love, like, I was up at U.S., I consult with U.S. Skiing, and I was up there a week ago, and if I wasn't meeting with staff or whomever, you know, coaches or whomever, I just was watching training sessions. I mean, you learn so much. Um, I, I can recall my first trip to Australia, both at, it's now called Sydney Academy of Sport in Narrabin, and, and same thing, just going out and, you know, watching the canoe and kayakers train and, and, and then watching them do their dry land and then going to AIS, you know, and seeing all, it's like, it was like a kid in a candy store because you got to see all these different sports, all these different coaches, different styles of coaching, mm-hmm. you know, at, at a high level, some successful, some not successful. And I, I think that's um, honestly, uh, Robbie, I think that's part of one of the things that I see is missing today yeah. uh, to the younger coaches is just this observation. Um, there's a lot of, you know, I don't know what you call them, mentorships or that kind of stuff, but they're not really, there's not, not enough depth to them that you're seeing like little uh, snapshots, yeah. you know, where you have to, you, you can't just come and watch a workout, you know, like, like next week, uh, Scottish national swim team is going to be here in Sarasota and, they want me to do one dry land session with them, and I'm gonna, but I'm going to be over in Scotland in, um, I guess, end of September, specifically with the swim, you know, one day with the swim coaches and that, and that's the thing. And they're going to watch; they'll be able to watch the kids that I work with here. I won't be here. They're going to be able to watch them train. I don't coach them in the pool, but the dry land. And what's cool about it is they'll get to see five days of it. They're going to see warts and all. They're going to see the good, bad, and the ugly. Mm. You know, you're going to see the 14-year-old kid who's just completely clueless to the 17, who's a, you know, a world junior champion, championship medalist. You know, and that he's pretty good at what he does. And I think that's that's really for me really important. Yeah, you know, and, and that's been huge in my coaching career. A lot of people, you know, talk about Speed City and. Uh, um, how could I forget his name? Uh, the coach at San Jose State, and I, I just remember watching sessions by him, you know, and watching him during meets. What a, I mean, uh, uh, Bud Winter. What a, what a. I mean, this was a lot. He's passed away now, but what I, I just so blessed, you know, to have been able to do that, and hopefully continue to do that, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I suppose it's because the younger coaches, even like myself, but definitely even the coaches who are maybe even maybe. Eight, ten years younger than me because when I came when I like I came into the world where cell phones weren't actually that big or the internet yet because I'm I'm just touching 30 now but like the coaches who are like 20 they don't know any different than cell phones or internet so like I guess the point I'm trying to make is back even in in your day or like uh, Coach Boyle's day or Jimmy Ratcliffe or you know the, you guys had to go visit because there was no internet or there was no you know so it was like well if I, ha- if I want to learn from this guy I have to go visit him um, whereas nowadays, you know, it's online courses. It's like ah, I can just buy his book off Amazon. I don't, I don't really have to travel. The, I don't have to get the two-hour flight down and, and check it out. So I yeah. think, I think that kind of is a is a stumbling block. But I 100% agree. That there's, there's just nothing like being there. Like last year, I visited uh, Westside and uh, IFAST. That's Mike Robertson's facility. And then I spent two days with Alvar Meal in his house and. Like you know, you couldn't have couldn't no, no money could have bought that type of stuff. You know, I learned so much in those in those experiences, being there physically in their presence. Um, yeah. And I'm hoping next year to spend two months now down at, at Altos with with Dan Faf. So, um, I really really want to do that. And as I said, hopefully eventually I'll, I'll have the the resources to get to your game um program because I mean it just sounds incredible. So yeah, hundred percent agree. Well, yeah, I mean the, we, there was a uh, we had a swim clinic at 
University of Tennessee three weeks ago, and uh, um, one of the coaches spoke about this, uh, and he's he's very involved in technology and that, and it was a great swim coach. He's not swimming coach coaching swimming day to day. Sean Hutchison, mm-hmm. and uh, and he he made a really good point, and, and Jimmy and I were talking about this uh, yesterday. Uh, that we can fight technology or we can embrace it. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I mean, I'm 69 years old. So much, so much of this stuff is, is new to me uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, I just got on What's Up two weeks ago so I can talk to my friend who's the national coach of Mexican national soccer team. You know, <laughs> that's, that's great. How, that, that's how he communicates. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I, I think we have to be careful that we don't let technology be a barrier between the coach and the athlete. Absolutely, yeah. And I see too many coaches today, young coaches, and some of them not necessarily young, looking at their iPad and videoing everything instead of watching and walking around. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as simple a thing as I learned this from Tom Toulouse. If you stand in the same place, you're going to see the same thing all the time. Because oh, first of all, you have a confirmation bias and that. So move around, move in front, move behind. Listen to the athlete. Don't just, don't just look at the numbers, you know, and... It's so important, and, 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 you know, I mean, you can have, Jimmy and I were talking about this, you can have all the monitoring apps you want in the world, whatever they are, I could name probably 15 names now, and there's probably more developing and out on, on, on as we speak, and they're all very interesting to me, but at the end of the day, on Monday morning, here in Sarasota, at 4.45 in the morning, I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm talk. I'm saying, "Hi, you know, how's the weekend? You have a big test today. You know, these are these are kids, and I could look at a trainability score, and it could fool me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to watch the body language. I've got to watch warm up. You know, and and this is the fear that I have. You know, somewhere we have to have a balance yeah. so that we're really taking advantage of of the technology." But not letting the technology get in in the way of us being using our eyes and our ears and our feeling, and and, and like one of my mentors, Frank Dick, said, you know, we don't coach swimmers, we don't coach shot putters, we coach people who swim. Yeah. You know, and and uh, a lot of this, uh, Randy Ballard, who's now uh, been just been elevated to an assistant athletic director position at University of Illinois in charge of sports medicine and nutrition, is tremendous. Tremendous, uh, one a real, real giant, I think, and you'll hear his name a lot before he's one of our game faculty members, mm-hmm. and and he's been using. He was working a lot with volleyball, and he was using the very. I, I don't remember what program it was. It's incidental uh, to the conversation, but uh, you know, he said uh, again, the biggest thing was yes, you're going to look at the numbers, you're going to look at the trainability score. But you have to put it in context. And a lot of times, by the time the trainability score shows up, it's too late to make a change, too. And that's where you have to be really proactive along the way. You know? So, so I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, in, in the technology in the right place in the right context. Yeah. You know? and I, somebody said to me in early January, this is my 40, starting my 46th year of coaching, and they said, what, you know, what, what is... Uh, what did you dream about six years ago? I said, I dreamed about the ability to do all the things we can do now, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. ground contact times. I wrote a, a paper, and I was telling Jimmy, I wrote a paper in grad school, and really it was basically, that was 40 years ago, and it was predicting what the octo jump can do now, you know? I was saying, geez, if we could do this, we could get, you know, that, 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 and I, it was, anyway. And, uh, um, uh, but now we can do it. And I'm going, some of this, some of my dreams are like nightmares, right? <laughs> like, there's so much, you know, it's, what are you going to do with this information? That's too, the other thing, too, yeah, yeah. Like, a lot of people are just kind of collecting data for collecting data's sake. Nice graphs, you know, and, I mean, that was one of our con- big conversations this weekend, like, what's the role of these performance directors? Is it just, is it? You know, like last night, it was so cool to watch the Golden State Warriors win. And uh, Lachlan Penfold, who's a Aussie, who's their performance director, who I've known for 25 years and mentored some, and and I know how hands-on Lachlan is. He's not, he's not just look. 
me, within 45 minutes, he was on the phone, you know, to Bill Knowles saying, now, what do you think? Should we do this? You know, that, and, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons Steph Curry was able to, I think, come back. I'm not, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but, you know, was able to come back as quick. Now, he's not 100%, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's the playoffs. It's, you're going to, that's pro sports, you know, you've yeah, got to be yeah. ready. If it was a college kid, he probably wouldn't be playing right now. Right. So, 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 Vern. Another topic that uh, that we that I'd like to get to touch on, and we were just speaking about this offline, is uh, in your book, Athletic Development, fantastic book, and I'll link it in the show notes. Is this idea of uh, looking at the sport, analyzing the sport for its demands, and you were just speaking about that with regards to some of the skiing athletes you're working with. So, maybe just uh, touch on some of your current thought processes about analyzing demands for sports. Um, usually important. Uh, and, and I think we tend to uh, we tend to take it for granted. And when you get, like you said, you're working with hurling in that, yeah. um, you know, and and so the, the GA sports there in, in in Ireland, or you could look at you know football, real soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there there's a there have been American football is a good example too. There's a whole bunch of assumptions about what what happened. But then if you really dig down, you've got to know what really hap- what's really happening in the game. Yeah. And so I say first it's, it's, it's a hierarchical process. I kind of call it step to success. First you understand overall the defense of the game. Okay, is it, is it collision? Is it, is it contact? Is it change? You know, all those. Then you look at you, the next level is you look at the position of the event within the sport. Well, if you've got... I won't. I won't try to use hurling as an example because I'll get out of my element. I, you know, I'm an expert because I saw the Munster final and fell in love. But, but if, you know, you, you say American football, it's really that's dictated the the position you play. I could yeah. be an offensive lineman, and depending on the offense, the style of play is going to have a huge uh, should have a huge impact upon how I prepare the. Okay, then, and the next level down or up is you look at the qualities of individual athlete. Okay, are they are they a fast adapter? Are they a slow adapter? Are they uh, a late? You know, it, it could you could have a, a collegiate team like in, in Jimmy's case of football, and you've got eighteen year old freshmen playing against twenty two, twenty three year old seniors. Mm. Now, should they be doing the same thing? And then last but not least, you, you, you address the pattern of injury in the sport, not by developing it. You, you must know what they are and, and then develop uh, uh, an appropriate program that's a transparent part of the training program, not an injury prevention program. Yeah. You know, and, and looking at that and constantly revising that. And to me, today, it's inexcusable. With the with the ability we have to analyze sports for to be doing some of the same stuff we're we, we you know we're doing you know I, I, I you know and I, I I have a lot of questions right now about the GPS stuff because I think there's a lot of fuzzy math going on mm-hmm. in some of it but that's a topic for another time but at least we've got general much more specific guidelines trends about what's happening you know and. And I, I, I just, um, you know, I'll, I'll go back to simple sport, right? I mean, what, what could be more simple than a 100-meter sprint, right? And so you go, let's go back to 1969 when I started coaching. The winner is the person who slows down the least, right? Okay. Yeah. And what do we do? We did, uh, uh, if you're a 100-meter sprinter, everybody did uh, uh, 300s, 400s. Did all this heavy lactate stuff, and you did just a shitload of work, right? Now you didn't lift because if you lift, you'll get you know that'll slow you down, right? <laughs> this is only this is nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, yeah. The 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 Czechs in the in the European Championships in Prague and that put out timing lights, you know, every ten meters, and all of a sudden they're looking. Wait a minute, you know, this there's some things different here than what we're seeing. You know, and then the Tory and, and, and the Italians looked at, you know, some of the power measures and things like that. And all of a sudden, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at a different event here. Mm. You know, and there's, what, there's one of the reasons why, unfortunately, there was 
medicinal aids too, but why the, the record went down. All of a sudden, we realized that, you know, you there's a long, and, and, and certainly Tom Teles and Luke showed this, and, and the work done here leading into the 84 Olympic Games, the analysis we did that showed different distributions of effort, uh, where you reach top speed, how you hold top speed, and eventually that really changed how we trained for the event. You know, and that's a pretty simple in one sense, complex in one sense, because you know you have a, you're on the ground less than you know less than a tenth. But mm. you know, and if you it, it, you know, if, but you could make assumptions if you just watch the race, and everybody's oh those sprinters are really lazy, right? Because mm-hmm. they didn't want to work as hard. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I'm going now, and I said the same thing. You know, now I realize, you know, my first eight, ten years of coaching, you know, I was training the speed out of them. You know, they were running fast in spite of, not because of what I was doing. You know, they wanted to take more rest because they needed to take more rest. Because yeah, yeah. that's, you know, we're going to run 10 seconds or 11 seconds, not, you know, not so anyway. That would be just a small example. So does that kind of clarify? I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and again, for any of the listeners too, I mean, you have a great chapter on analyzing uh, the demands of sports. I, I just think, I know personally myself as a young coach, it was an area that I, I was grossly undereducated in until I just kind of, I heard some of your stuff and reading through Dr. Greg Haft's stuff and I was like, you know, I actually need to physically look more at the demands of sports. Um, and, and there's just, and even, and maybe you can touch on this too, there, there's so many, the way I kind of look at it too is like, you know, there's obviously a bioenergetic demand, a biomechanical demand, um, and then as you said, like looking at the common common injuries or demands of the sport, so um, those those type of things as well. But I really like the way you said you need to match it to the, the athlete and the personality of the athlete too, and where they're at currently in their development. I think that's so grossly overlooked too, you know? Well, I have, I mean, and, and even right now, because this is one of the things we're discussing with U.S. skiing, is looking at... I mean, the demands of the sport determine the testing that you do. Yeah, yeah. You use traditional tests that for every sport. And I'm going, this is stupid. Yeah. You know, like uh, Dr. Bill Sands, who's up at US King now, we were talking about, you know, the, a, an isometric squat test versus a mid-thigh pull. I said, what's the difference? And he said, basically, you're getting the same information. But what are you doing with See, this is my question. Yeah, yeah. So if you're testing, you, you use or you use field test or lab test, what are you doing with the test that, that, that connects directly back to the demands of the sport? Yes, you're trying to identify the qualities of athletes, but then what action items are you going to take to develop those qualities based upon what you tested? And do you think do you think then that testing should, should fall into, again, a, a general category? So we're looking at just general physical qualities you know like looking at looking at work capacity and strength explosive strength elastic strength speed multi-directional and then have then specific testing for that sport that's more specialized would you would you do both um yeah good question and and i think at younger training ages you might do more general yeah i i think some of the general athletic qualities you're you're not honing in on specific uh, you know, just yeah, looking at the general athletic qualities, and then and then, but you don't have to keep repeating those tests. Yeah, true. You, know, you, you 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 profile that athlete, and I'm I'm big on this idea of profiling the athlete. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Whether it's psychological and 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 and, and physiological, yeah. and then tracking certain parameters to see their growth. But the ultimate measure is what happens in the performance arena. Yeah. Carefully tracking how. You know, at ver- how they perform at various times and that, and then as they uh, grow in their training age, then we want to look at, uh, you know, get drilling in, being more specific. specific yeah. You know, uh, and I, I, I really don't like the term marginal gains because I think it's mes- misled us to focus on minutia. Mm. But we're gonna, we've got to focus more as the athlete grows on what specific needs are. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it always reminds me of um, Bondarchuk and the hammer throws where he was like, you know, the the novice throwers, when their bench press went up, their throw went up. And then, when, and then with the, with, the, uh, with the elite throwers, when, they're, when they tried to get their bench, and, they, and at this stage, elite throwers were, were benching so much weight, and when they tried to focus on getting their bench up, their performance went backwards because sure. they were spe- expending so much energy that they could have expended on their actual sport so maybe as you said it's similar kind of to that 
long-term training development too in terms of testing maybe you know you don't need to be looking so much at those general qualities because at that stage they have such development of them that it's maybe more of a, a sport specific aspect that's well, you know, yeah about. exactly and that comes i mean to me that's part of the sport demands analysis i always say to so what's what's the career progression for an athlete in your sport yeah. fair to ask right yeah how do they progress why are you why do you have a 30 year old athlete doing the same thing as a 20 year old athlete yeah. They should be going past that, you yeah. know. And I mean, this is something I, I, I've got to do a keynote talk this on changing the world. I spent sixty some years trying to change the world, and I it's, I haven't been too successful. But I'm going to keep trying. But so now I'm in a I'm, I'm no pun intended or pun intended. I'm totally immersed more in swimming right now, mm. and and getting the coaches, some of the coaches, to understand that yeah, what we you can't we don't need to go back. Number one, in our scheme, nationals are in the middle of August. We start training. They take a week off, and we start training again. They're, ex- they're in peak fitness. We don't need to go back and do base fitness work. You build from year to year. Training accumulates. And see, that's the other part of this that I think we, tend, we, we really don't give enough credit to. Training accumulates. I mean, I, I'm working with a, a professional beach volleyball player. This is the eighth year we've worked together. And she's, it's amazing from year to year the progress she's made. Now, we might use a same, you know, a same exercise, yeah. a high pull, but we're doing it really different now than mm. what we were doing eight years ago. Yeah. You know, it's a staggered stance. There's more rotation involved. You know, all kinds of things to, to, to ensure continual adaptation and to, to have the physical qualities feed the technical impact. You know, and if you do the same thing, I, 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 I can't prove this, but I think what ends up happening is you dull the training response. You, your return on investment is very uh, is very minimal. Oh, absolutely. You know, so. absolutely. I mean, that's I mean, the biological law of adaptive resistance or accommodation, some people call that's it. So. Awesome. Uh, just uh, while, while, while you've mentioned swimming a few times, it's funny you mentioned that because it's it's one sport I've never I've never been involved in myself, but I find it so unique. It's demands in terms of the fact that you're in water and its contraction type is so different because obviously gravity isn't as much. It's completely different in swimming. Um. So yeah. in terms of dry land training, like what like what exactly are you doing or would you do or what are your thoughts on dry land training? Because so it's so unique again because again the contraction type and then if you talk about transfer training like do traditional concentric eccentric i mean are you doing that or what exactly are you doing yeah we've had some interesting debates with different people particularly more people that are a little more sports science oriented and you know general special versus specific Mm. i mean the 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 huge element of swimming is understanding the hydrodynamics and 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 the idea of connecting um you know hip to shoulder and 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 that and presenting as small a frontal surface uh, area to the in the water as you can for streamlining purposes mm. and that and uh, um, so that's a that's a big emphasis and it's it's more about developing a, a long hydrodynamic body yeah. and emphasizing connections rather than heavy I mean there's no question, and we've been able to see that, particularly with the university age swimmers, that the you know that there's there's a power element, no question on start and, and especially in Absol- short. Course. Absolutely, yeah. But the, the, again, just like sprinting, swimming has changed, and that we understand now that the underwater portion is even in the long course, which is 50 meters. The pool, you know, you're you're not swimming 50 meters. You're underwater uh, 15. So you're underwater like 20 meters, 25 meters out of 50, yeah. you know, and so that ability to undulate, all of those kinds of things. So you'll see, I use a lot of similar exercises. We do a tremendous amount of, of leg work, um, like different kind variations of the leg circuit with different loads, um, so not all in the sagittal plane, um, you know, with the breaststroke, frontal plane stuff, um, but I mean, Robbie, the connection, no pun intended, is I don't like the book coring, trying to get away from using it, postural strength. I mean, but mm. they'll do, I was, I was calculating the other day, uh, Saturday's workout, the kids did, they probably did 
500 reps of med ball exercises, you know, and that's, that's a moderate, I mean, they they could go up to 750 as low as 250, but they're going to do some sort of postural strength work every day. And we do a routine warm up to them every day, which has, uh, uh, we don't isolate the shoulder. Everything is about connection. Integration. Yeah. Uh, integration and that it's so unique too because like apart from the start and the turn it's all open chain too so it's just it's just mad i think the 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 demands of it but no just interesting to to hear your your thoughts on that too well if uh i I know your this podcast is you know your listeners are worldwide but if you look in a current issue of sports illustrated uh, american magazine there's an article about kate ledecky and there's a tremendous picture of her from the side and it's, it's a classic example. You, you swim like you walk. Yeah. You swim like you walk. And, you know, so what, if, if your right arm is up in front, your left arm is, is I mean, your left, left leg, leg it's, yeah. it's opposition. That's the human body. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I always joke with the swim coaches. I mean, uh, Nick Foker, who's the, uh, who used to be at Cal Berkeley, is now with Bridge Athletic, um, tremendous, great, great swimmer himself. And, with swimming and water polo and diving there, he says it's, um, you, the swimmers don't select swimming, swimming selects them. Generally, in the male element, you see long torsos and short legs, you know, and, and pretty long arms. You know, it, it, the females, it tend to be a little bit more all over the place, you know. But still, I pedal human beings. I haven't seen a swimmer yet with web feet, web hands, and gills. So we have to we have to take that that uh, bipedal by you know uh, dry land body and try to make it more efficient in the water because it's all about efficiency. So, yeah. anyway, so hopefully that gives a little understanding. Yeah, no, just again, it really, you brought up, and it's just, it's a, it's a thought that always gets into my head now and again, swim, when people talk about swimming, I'm like, you know, it's such a unique, uh, demanded sport, but, and I know you're very involved with it. Uh, for another topic, and actually, I really have to give you credit on this, because it was actually, uh, I don't know if you know Patrick Ward, he's a, he's a coach, uh, he's actually a sports scientist now with the Seattle Seahawks, and he was the first person, like, this is back 2008, eight nine, and he was like, get Vernon Bettis book, I like development's excellent, I got it, and it was the first resource where I really got an appreciation for work capacity, your book. Um, and it's, it's something that's so overlooked and I see it over and over again in that, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of guys and girls that who break down. And of course there's, there's many variables like their, their movement quality and um, their nutrition, their lifestyle, uh, even their, their strength and whatnot. But sometimes they just don't have the work capacity for, for the demands that are being placed on them. So, Maybe could you could you just touch on work capacity, its importance, yeah. and, and some of the flaws or just your basic thoughts on work capacity? Yeah, no, just a term and, and going back to the to the seventies and looking at the um, translated European literature, not necessarily Russian or East German, but all the European literature. You, you, I kept seeing that term, and I go on. The concept of work capacity is is it's it's it's. it's the amount of training that you can do, if you don't have the capacity to do certain amounts of work, you're not going to be able to get better. And I, I, I think that what we've traditionally used to do was, you know, you got to have an aerobic base. Yeah, really? Why? You know, I mean, that will develop in conjunction with everything. I, For me, work capacity are those things which limit your ability to do other types of work, mm. okay? Flexibility falls under work capacity. Yes, aerobic power, aerobic capacity, anaerobic power, anaerobic capacity can enter into it, uh, you know, and that. So I've got to design a program where that's a thread because we'll say, okay, now this is a work capacity phase. Wrong. Work capacity is a thread that goes through the whole year. Yeah. Right? And, you know, strength, strength endurance would, would be, come under work capacity to a certain extent. But you can't have, you can't endure strength or speed if you don't have them first. Mm. Okay, so it's learning how to manipulate and to put, develop these variables, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, in conjunction. So, um, and, and that's the idea. That's, that's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm seeing with Megan, my beach volleyball player. 
you know, when you work with somebody over a long period of time, I mean, the Carmel Swim Club, who I've worked with for six years, those kids' capacity for for handling, not just handling work, because that's a, that's a mistake we make. We want the athlete to thrive, not just survive. Mm. But that accumulates from year to year, and I don't think you can force it. You know, and it's 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 paying attention to good movement mechanics. You know, all of these things come together, and it's it, it keeps summing. Uh, um, warm up is a huge part of work capacity. I, I mean, you don't think yeah. about yeah. it, but I, I look like like the, 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 the swim coach here in Sarasota. He's now at University of Arizona, but when I first started working with him, and we have a warm-up to swim routine. It's, it, it's A day, B day, C day, and then individual considerations within those. And he said, do you realize, and I did, but I let him discover it. He said, do you realize that we've added 45 minutes of dry land conservatively a week by the warm-up to swim program? Well, that's work capacity. See that at first the young kids struggle to make it through some of the warm-ups because it's they don't have the ability to handle that. But you see, after six weeks, it's amazing, mm. you know, and that. So, you know, that I think is 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 really important. And I I think we have to one of the things that one of my colleagues, Gary Winkler, and I did many years ago is we tried to go through and identify various threads that we, we call it, you know, like that would that would turn into a rope and a thread, you know, throughout. And and if work capacity, there's this idea that there's a work capacity phase and then we drop it. No, you've got it. You've got it. And 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 work capacity type of work, i.e., flexibility, um, extensive tempo type of work, just done with good mechanics on a recovery day, it will in will help stimulate, you know, work capacity. Yeah. And, and you know, in that case, the aerobic component. It's uh, it's funny you mentioned the warm up there uh, because that over the last few years that's actually what I've kind of done and in more of our general physical preparation blocks we might have some scrimmages and I'll purposely make the warm ups a little bit longer a little more sort of aerobic in nature a little less rest so they're not quite as intense in terms of a lactic demands and then when we get more towards our championship sort of phase then it's like there's more players per group per per sport specific drill it's shorter it's snappier it's more power output but the guys yeah. say that the guys have, have mentioned before that you know we feel because of the the longer kind of they they call them the harder warm-ups but i yeah. i know what they mean they feel that that when it gets to championship and the shorter sharper ones they, they just feel you know it's a psychological thing more than anything else but they just yeah. feel fresher but yeah definitely yeah. Work, work capacity is used because i've been usually influenced by al vermeil and Al was obviously huge influence by Charlie, so like work capacity is huge and extensive tempo on the, on the off days. Actually, I introduced that concept to Vermeil, but we won't go there. So. <laughs> well, know, yeah. A lot of people don't know that I used to work with for him and with him. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I heard that you you, you um, consulted with the Bulls, all right. So, but well, uh, I worked with Vermeil for two years. Yeah. So that's a topic offline for another time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I definitely got a huge appreciation for work capacity through, through Charlie and then through yourself as well. So, I mean, well, I, I think you have to be careful sometimes. I mean, like what happened is, like with warm up, a lot of people took this. Uh, Brent McFarland, uh, who was a Canadian coach, was big on these continuous warm ups, and they were going half an hour continuous warm ups. Yeah, spinners and hurdlers, you know, and it's that's total BS. I mean, that's a workout. Yeah. Warm up has got to be linked to what what follows. Follow, I, yeah. I, I I'm trying to seamless. I, I, I tried to, uh, and I'm, I'm not being successful, but I'm still trying because the two two the, the, the what what brackets the workout are is warm up and cool down. Yeah, and and there a lot of times the cool down is garbage and warm up is an afterthought, and and it should be preparation and reset. That's what I call it. Preparation for what's to follow and reset the nervous system and you know could be the muscular system to, to, to prepare for what next workout is afternoon or tomorrow. Mm. You know, mm. so uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's different thoughts. I mean, there, there's so many things that you know. I, I, I believe me, I have more questions than answers. Just like somebody said, I have a lot more yesterdays than I do tomorrows at my age, but I have a lot more questions than answers. But some 
some things have become really clear to me and that we've wasted a lot of time just, you know, on, st- on stuff, you know, because everybody else does it instead of really being on point with what we're doing, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to you know, in the warm up, in the session, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway, a, a big sort of trend at the moment in terms of topics being discussed is skill acquisition and motor control. I think Franz Bosch is really yeah. pushing this on a lot of people. Now, I know for the likes of yourself and definitely Coach Faf, this is not new. You guys have been talking about linking skill acquisition and coordination for years and not seeing it as an isolated uh, entity in, in and of itself. Like, you know, people look, and you know this, like people are always like, this is strength training, this is conditioning, this is coordination. <laughs> And it's like, uh, no, it's all one organism. You can't separate that stuff out. But uh, what are some of your current thoughts on, on skill acquisition? And, and maybe, uh, like, have you looked at some of Franz, Franz, Franz Bosch's work in terms of, like, you know, his, he, you know, he believes strength training is essentially just, you know, it's coordination training with yeah. weights. So what, what are some of your thoughts on that front? Well, we, we brought Franz over to game several different times. And, and my colleagues, uh, John Pryor, with, now it's not with Japan Rugby anymore, but you know, and Dean Benton um, spent a lot of time with Franz and uh, Gary Winkler, uh, and is very, I, I would say, a big influence on us. Uh, for for me personally, and I think for Gary, uh, a lot of it was um, sort of a reawakening mm. to, to to go back to to some things that we knew. Um, you know, the external cues, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's new. In one sense, I mean, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly, and I, I have been, I have looked for years, and my, my definition of strength training is coordination training with appropriate resistance. He calls it coordination training with, with resistance. Appropriate resistance is going to change relative to the athlete and the sport the sport demands. And yes. I, I have, there's some other parts of the definition. Uh, but the whole skill acting and practice organization, this is what Jimmy Ratcliffe and I were talking about. Um, you go to typical practices. I won't. I, I was. I saw a pro football team last year. I was with, and I and I thought I was at Fresno State, nineteen sixty-five. You know, still the same drills, the same. No purpose to it. And I, I, I think it's connecting the physical preparation to the technical and tactical. John Pryor did that with Japan rugby to to the to the nth degree. If you go online and just search physical conditioning for Japan rugby, that was not bullshit. That what the stuff that's on there is the stuff that they were doing. And he worked he and he with with Eddie Jones and they integrated it so that there was physical preparation work then followed by tactical and, and that. No, there's huge, huge rooms for improvement in this area. And uh, it's funny to see people jump on the bandwagon, just copy the, the, the reflex strength training exercises without having any answer. They're all over the internet now. Why are you doing it? You know, it's, do you understand stumble extent and reflex? Do you understand extension reflex? Do you understand startle reflex? Those are, those are key elements in, in being able to do that. Uh, my big challenge with some of Francis stuff now is getting it out of the sagittal plane. Uh, and some of his concepts and agility I find really interesting. Some of them I don't agree with. Um, and I know uh, Dean Benton's coming to gain, and we're going to powwow on this because he's, uh, he's spent a lot more time with France in the last two years than I have, and, and he and John Pryor are quite close friends. They grew up together in that. Um, but uh, the whole skill act piece, I mean, uh, I always tell people, you're going to laugh at this, if you want to understand it, go get Karate Kid Part 1 and, and look at that. Okay, I can, I've got a list, a whole section of books here I could recommend. They're great. You know, uh, nonlinear pedagogy and that terrific book. But look at what Mr. Miyagi did with Daniel-san. He never taught him karate. Okay, everything was external cues. And, you know, that's, uh, one of the swim coaches was asking me the other day, how do I apply it to swimming? And I said, simple, don't tell them, don't tell them what to do. Say, reach to the other end of the pool, touch the bottom of the pool, you know, uh, you know, and see what happens. Let them discover. Um, it's we create robots instead of letting, you know. You watch kids when they're little; they're pretty natural in movement, and then we coach them. <laughs> you 
putting it together with the team, you know, and, and you're probably familiar with the Games for Understanding approach. There's a lot of stuff happening in the last 25 years that have really questioned some of the traditional types of things that we're doing. But boy, in a lot of our sports, uh, uh, you know, American sports, football, basketball, baseball, we're, we're stuck in a huge rut, you know, and that's why we have the injuries we have. I mean, Juan Osorio is a good friend of mine who's the manager for Mexico uh, uh, now in, in, in soccer. He's been doing this stuff for 20 years now. We started working on, uh, on and I, when I say small side games, I'm not talking the Verhaeusian approach. We, we, we sat down with a, 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 a friend of mine who's noted coach and exercise physiologist and worked it out, and then how you manipulate all these different variables to achieve the skill components that you want, you know, and then tactical components, and then the, and then the strategic components, you know, mm-hmm. and putting it all together. It's fascinating. To me, I hope I'm around. That's, that's where I've spent the majority of my time, really, in terms of, you know, um, growing, I, hopefully growing as a coach. Uh, and do, do you think with the, with the skill acquisition that the pendulum could potentially swing, with a few coaches, could potentially swing a little bit towards that so much that there could be this almost afterthought of, you know, that there is physical capacities that are still important to build, like, you know, like strength and explosive strength. Um, you know that that all people are going to do now is just like it's all it's all now motor control and it's all these kind of yeah, absolutely yeah Since, yeah no I, I sorry I didn't finish finish your question I, I no no that, that that was basically that was basically well, this, this is precisely what's wrong right see it, it, it's it's all or nothing right instead yeah. of you notice I'm using the word integrate a lot yeah, okay yeah and this is one of the reasons why you have the tremendous problems with hamstring injuries in soccer. Because they all they do is play small sided games. Yeah. They play five v five with conditions. They they may and it's tough in the EPL and that, but and, and they never run allowed except in a game. Mm. So what's going to happen if you haven't done the physical preparation? If you haven't done two or three max velocity flying sprints, the the, the there's one of the um, guys from uh, that's come to gain a couple of years is with Arsenal Academy. Is with the, I forget which age group. They've had no hamstring pulls for two years with that U18, U19, something like that. Because once a week they touch on high speed. It's not. And, De- uh, it's not a Des Des Ryan, no Desmond Ryan. But Des is in charge of. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Des is his boss. Why can't I remember? His name? I'm so bad with names because I'd like to give him credit. He's a great young man, and 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 and, and that. But um, and Des has really done a great job there. I mean, I had I had the privilege of spending two days there. He brought me over and. It was, it was cool, you know. Um, but the, the academy's disconnected, in a sense, from what the first team is doing, you know, and that's that's another problem. But but that's the big problem today in in rugby and in soccer, you know. And that is 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 if you, you you've got to keep up the the physical preparation part of it. Yeah. You can't just condition through small side games, mm. you know. And people have brought that hook line and sinker, and it's. You know, and uh, yeah, it's 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 got to be an integrated, total approach to developing the athlete. Yeah. You know, to 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 the demands of the sport and what they need. It's like you, you know? were saying earlier about the work capacity. Like it's this it's this rope and it's this tread that's continuously throughout your whole program. It's not just one block and you drop it out. Like you're you're tr- you know everything is always being trained. It's just you're emphasizing different things at different times. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and have well, the of Ishran's book he says that he says like 60, 60 to 70% is dedicated towards your primary goal but he's like that other 20-30% is to keep all these other qualities topped up like it's not yep. it's not like you just, just do one thing in this block so that's pretty and that's cool. knowing you and, and, and I know we've got to wrap it up here pretty quick but yeah. that's knowing your athlete too there's some people you know the, the athlete that's wired 
is is going to have you know, and, and and a lot of times that's your winger in soccer, your 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 forward and that you, you got to treat that's your thoroughbred, you know, your your midfielder, your 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 fullbacks, and and, and they're, they're more like they're a little bit more like a quarter horse, you know, and then you don't have plow horses in soccer, but you have quarter horses that have a better you know work they. Their work rate, they're going to go at a slower pace for a longer period of time where your skilled people are going to fly and then they need, you know, more recovery, mm. you know. And so you have to reflect that in your training, you know, and that. So. For just w- w- one last training question that I really want to get your thoughts on too, and maybe it's because you're such good friends with Jimmy and I know Jimmy's done a lot of area in the in the work in 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 the area of plyometrics, is this idea of elastic reactive strength and elasticity and how trainable do you think it is and like i see a lot of things out there with the reactive strength index and you know your ground contact should be less than 0.250 milliseconds and they kind of put out these arbitrary sort of numbers and um like first off how trainable do you think elastic reactive strength is do you think it's obviously it's a very genetic sort of component and you know it's highly correlated to absolute speed or it's supposed to be anyway Um, and and the other thing is that is there I've asked so many people this, and no one knows. Is there, or should there be a certain like ratio of relationship between someone's reactive strength index, so someone's elastic reactive capability, with their starting and explosive strength capability? So, like, should there be a certain ratio balance between someone's non-counter movement, counter movement, and and say depth jump? Like, have you looked into any of that stuff? Yeah, for years, for years, puzzled over it, and we had. Uh just had this bill sands and i just had this conversation up at u.s skiing and you know, there's so much contradictory evidence like yeah, i've yeah. done a lot of squat jump counter movement jump stuff and i can never get never and i'm talking from nba players professional soccer players world cup players decathletes i didn't do it with the one really good sprinter but I, I don't see the huge difference between the two, you know, like like Bosco used to report, which kind of kind of puzzled me. And and I think there's some methodological issues and that kind of stuff. But so that that part of it, you know, the, the, I, I I just don't even worry about that part anymore. In fact, yeah, I don't yeah. do I don't I, I think the stiffness jumps are much more important, and that's but but this is where. But on the other hand, and this is where Dean Benton and John Pryor and myself, see, like Francis, you should never do, like, bounding for speed improvement. And I'm going, I get what you're saying because the ground contact time is a lot longer, but that addresses a slightly different force component. Yeah. You know, that. so I'm not going to do, you know, 500 meters of, you know, bounding. right, left, right, left, yeah. but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit that quality. And then I'm going to do the stiffness jump. Sure, I get that, you know. But like like exa- example, like with my beach volleyball player, Jimmy and I were talking about this. She plays on sand, right? And where the, where, the, where the big tournaments are out in California, it's deep sand. Here in Florida, we have a different kind of sand. It's not as deep. So where, where do we do all our elastic reactive training? We don't do it in the sand. We do it on grass. It's fairly low volume. Because she's going to play three hours of volleyball a day. Yeah. She's going to jump. But what we do is more interangular displacement because you're going to get – now, if it's an indoor volleyball player, we do everything with really, you know, with short. So I'm still not answering your question because you know why? I have an answer. <laughs> I'm going to be totally honest with you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. I, pre- I prefer that, I mean, because mo- most people are just like, most people haven't even thought about it, at least you're like, no, this is this has been, because mo- it's it's something that's kind of racked my brains as well. And like well, I-, I think we can get, I think we can get really wrapped up in this, again, as an isolated quality. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell us a real quick story. When I was, a one time I jumped five, nine and three quarters, which was what, 180 something, right? And I was a very poor decathlete, 5,884 points. But I trained with some, some of the best in the world. And there was two guys that I trained with that were both seven-foot high jumpers. And it was really interesting. This is what started me thinking about this in 1971. So we did a, a vertical jump. And I could I could touch, I, I had a 28, 29-inch vertical jump, one time 30. 
You know what their vertical jump was? 29. Yeah. And they could jump a foot, you know, over a foot higher than me. Well, again, it was because it was a deep, slow, angular displacement movement rather than that fast reactive, yeah. you know. And again, that's what I brought to the table. There is a certain genetic component. Now, the limiting factor for me jumping higher was more technical, honestly, I think, too. But I, I know that on various jump tests that I improved my, and I've seen it with my athletes, that I've improved that elastic reactive uh, component. Mm-hmm. We've been able to show decreases when they're rested, slight decreases in ground contact time. You know, not mat, not huge, but better increases in total work, you know, on a repetitive jump test, for example, yeah. 10 seconds, 15 seconds, total work. So I, I do think it's, it's it, the ability, it's definitely, um, you can improve it. The biggest mistake made, and I think I address that even in the book, because uh, I, I did a lot of writing on this and speaking on this in the 70s and 80s, we just did way too much. We killed people. Yeah. Way too much volume. It's, it's very, I mean, it's, 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 it's intensity is a stimulus. That's what we have to remember. Mm. And, and the, the other, the, the, the work that I always recommend people look at, and we've been fooling around with this with the swimmers and with Megan, and I'm doing my aging study. It's from uh, Gilles Cometis, C-O-M-E-T-T-I, who's passed away now. But unfortunately, all his writing is in French and Spanish. And I had the opportunity to meet him, even though he spoke English in 1987, and uh, where it's combinations of um, fast eccentric, uh, isometric, and then uh, heavy air and lighter concentric loads, you know, done within, I, I call them like spectrum spots, where we'll hold a, 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 and if you look at Werner Gunther's training, that's the stuff that they did, you know, uh, online, the shot putter. And I think there's a real place for that, and I've seen good results in jumping, you know, vertical jump height increase over the back shot foot using that methodology. But again, you've got to use it very sparingly because you can just beat the crap out of people. Yeah, you know, you've yeah. Got to be, you got to watch it. So. No, you, I, I had a, a gentleman called Matt Jordan on the show, and he's a sports scientist in, in Canada, like, and he was just saying in terms of just looking at vertical jumps a thing that it's, it's going to come in now is like looking at time to impulse because as you were kind of saying there your vertical jump was the same as your other peers but you were taking longer to express it and that that's one thing i all see is that like uh, like i was i always use the analogy of oh let's say i had a guy at a 25 inch and i bring him to a 28 inch vertical jump but it's taken him way longer to express those three extra inches sure. so have i added any good value to his explosive strength you know not necessarily so there's a, there's a there's a subset to this story okay so that in 1971 a guy pat Masper broke the world record in the high jump mm-hmm. and he came out to santa barbara to train so he would then these other two seven foot high jumpers were decathletes he wasn't so then i got i watched pat fascinating watching him and uh did a lot of real uh, stuff with stretch cords and stuff that now i look back on and i got i wish i'd have been more open-minded then mm-hmm. so he took uh, um, there was a sit-up board, and he put it on top of the squat rack. And the squat rack was about um, a meter ten. Okay, so what would that? So about forty-one inches. Mm-hmm. And he got up there, and he would he would step off of that for a depth jump. Now think about this. Forty-one inches. Forty-one inches, wow. and he would go up. And I don't know how high the weight room ceiling was, but it was about. 11 and a half feet, about like the block in a basketball thing, yeah. and he would touch his forearm to the ceiling. Wow. And I'm thinking, so again, I wasn't smart enough to, to, to assimilate what I was seeing. Not, this, I'm not, that's not a bullshit story. This is true. And and uh, and, and he was a, a dive straddle, and it, it, unfortunately, you know, it was a time of where they were starting to chain, and he, later in his career, he tried to chain. He would have been a perfect flop high jumper. Yeah. But I mean, he, he, the time he spent on the ground was like, if we would have had an to jump or something or a force platform, he spent no time on the ground. Yeah. You know, I mean, he didn't, he didn't sink and jump. He, he was like a super ball, yeah. super ball, you know. It's pretty amazing. Incredible. I wish, those are the, those are the, that's where I wish we had the technology right out of cell phone. <laughs> yeah, stick it up on social media. Yeah, right. 
yeah. just to wrap up for your um definitely want you just to touch on your your game mentorship um you did a great podcast with, with Martin Bingazer and I'll link to that too where you spoke about it and, and uh, as I said earlier on I was listening to it and I was like this is amazing like the, the speakers you have and the whole setup and you know you were saying it's pretty full on it's like like from very early in the morning to like almost fairly late into the evening so did you maybe just want to just touch on gain let, let everyone know the yeah, inside yeah. maybe like maybe quickly like how it started how it came about and what, okay. what you okay. see for it in the future right because i gotta go here and get to work on gain on behind cool yeah, uh, yeah it's um yeah better athletic improvement network and my number one goal is for the g to go away as gambetta because i want it there's strength in numbers um we it's by application open by application we do it every june uh we've done it the last six years at rice university in houston texas wow. and it's a professional development network I, at first i called it an apprenticeship some people call it a mentorship. It really isn't, although that's a role that I tend to I play and some of the faculty and then the people that we have coming are like amazing. I look at this year, we've got uh, Mike Snelling from the Milwaukee Bucks who used to be with uh, British Rugby, who I know. Um, we have the head strength and conditioning coach for the Eagles. These are just delegates. And then once you come, once you're accepted, um, you can come back to the network event each year for my expenses, and then I have to pay the speakers. And and then what we have is we have an online forum. Um, we, we have, uh, you know, in, internal sort of Google Hangouts. Um, I make myself available, uh, you know, as much as reason with for Skype calls and things like that, um, you know, to help people. And, and uh, but what I really like, what's really starting to happen now this is our ninth year within the network it's they don't need me so there's strength in numbers right mm. so we have a, a british guy who's nick hill who's down in chile at a school and and xavier roy who's up in canada and they've been and then they've gotten three other people in the network and the, the stuff that they're doing is like amazing great stuff he's taken the pca they've they've taking it to a whole other level, you know, and so it, it's really neat. It's very intense. I mean, we have a, you know, we have a, a core group of faculty that come back every year, and then I try to bring in um, uh, people like Franz, people like... Um, uh, uh, Bill Knowles, is he there? Well, Bill Knowles will be there. Bill Bill tries to come every year, but because of the situation, um, uh, Bill, is, Bill is one of the original people. This year we have Wade Gilbert, who's a just a you'll you'll hear his name a lot more from Fresno State. He's a Canadian, you know, in coaching development. Um, uh, Ken, um, oh shoot. Uh, anyway, he, he did a, did the work with uh, Peter Wyant because Peter couldn't come, and, and so he's a, you know, and cool. uh, Brian McCormick, you know, like on Skill Act and that. So, and and we, you're right. We go from uh, we go from six thirty in the morning, and in the morning we go six thirty to seven forty five. And we have three teaching stations. So, again, some people, they participate. And so you've you got, what does that work out to be? 20 minutes at each station, and it's teaching. It's so, like, I'm going to do a state my the first morning, I'm going to do a station on um, the mock drills, mock plus Bosch. Mock, mock plus Bosch, <laughs> you know. And nice. uh, Bill is going to do, um, so how to, because I, I had the opportunity to learn from Gerard Mock misinterpretation and I still think his drills have relevance yeah. but with a with a Boschian viewpoint and then Bill will do a Philadelphia Union warm-up what he does with the academy kids and show the why and uh, and then and then we have classroom sessions uh, in the morning lunch uh, classroom sessions in the afternoon and then we have a, a 90 minute uh, sort of demonstration session in the evening so in a late afternoon so that people want to participate they can but it's more like nick garcia is going to do uh with the push band he's going to show um how he uses velocity based training cool. pluses and minuses and you know with his training and with his kids and then in the evening we we all we try to keep it to an hour and we have two half hour you know and last year i had frank dick skype in i had david epstein skype in uh, wow. 
you know, so I don't know. I don't know who will have his surprise Skypers this year. We'll see. So, uh, been pretty. Been, it's it's cool. And it was a dream of mine because there was a thing uh, in England in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, in the early 90s called Loughborough Summer School for Athletics at Loughborough. And it was the same kind of thing. And I thought if I could ever, and if I could ever recreate this, uh, we're on our way. We're on our way. Vern, uh, that's that's amazing, and uh, I'll link all that in the show notes. So, I just want to say thanks so much for giving okay. me give me an hour of your time, and, and you were so fast in getting back to me. You know, I was like, do you want to come on a podcast? You're like, let's do it tomorrow. I was like, okay. Yeah, so, if I was, we didn't do it tomorrow. It's going to be a long time because of the next month. But, brilliant, brilliant. You know, well, but best of luck with with Great game. catching up with you, and hope yeah. I can see you in Ireland sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, anytime you're you're in Scotland or England or Ireland, let me know, and I'll definitely make sure I get there. And as I said, uh, um, best luck this year with Gain, and hopefully you know, I'll be at Gain 2017. So it's Very definitely good. on my bucket list. So uh, thanks okay. so much, Vern. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'll wrap up. I'll see you later. Okay. So what a great episode with Coach Vern Gambetta. Thanks so much for all you guys who have listened to the show and downloaded. I uh, really appreciate it. So until next time, guys, take care, be well, and stay strong.